Well, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1, as we begin our look at this book. And uh, what I'm mainly going to give you tonight is introduction, but just to kind of give us a flow into the book, uh, let me read the first uh, seven verses of 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, by command of of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Amen. So primarily what I want to do tonight is go through some introductory material that I hope will be helpful, maybe not too tedious, a little tedious perhaps, not too tedious, uh, hopefully helpful in giving, giving you some background to set the stage for this letter. It's material that can be found in a lot of different resources, and I wanted to show you a few tonight. Uh, and if you have a study Bible, uh, most likely at the beginning of each book, there is a brief introduction to the book. But there are different surveys of the Bible that are helpful. This is a uh, an older one, Survey of the Bible by William Hendrickson, which is very good, a good content, great, faithful man, and he covers the different books of the whole Bible. There's a um, wonderful book by J. Gresham Machen on the New Testament, An Introduction to Its Literature and History. And uh, I almost recommend this book as a devotional book. It's so wonderful. It does cover all... The, not in not in uh, very technical detail, but it covers all the material regarding the books of the New Testament. But it is so um, enriching to read it that you'll find it not only informative, but I, I think spiritually edifying, as so much of what Machen does. For those that are really wanting to dig deeply into um, this information, you can get something like an introduction to the New Testament. This is a little older. Um, this was my text from seminary, and uh, that's too long ago for any of you to remember. But uh, if you really want to dig into it, it's, and it's big and heavy, and there are others more recently written, or you may just want to use it to press your leaves. I don't know. <clears throat> and uh, one that I've kind of used a little bit for tonight, there's a a more um, a, a smaller one. It's called Talk Through the Bo- Talk. This is Talk Through the Old Testament. There's a 
Talk Through the Bible. It's a book by Kenneth Boa and Bruce Wilkinson. Um, and uh, Bruce Wilkinson, and we wouldn't agree with all of his theology, to be sure, but uh, he has a seminar, seminar called Walk Through the Bible, and some of you would hate it. But it's, Diane and I went to one in, when we were living in Montgomery, Alabama, and it was literally a lot of fun. It was great fun. And they, they gave you kind of a memory device for remembering the uh, content of the Bible in a very short order of time. You spend all day learning it, but <clears throat> at any, at any rate, um, that would be a, a very, um, you know, less heavily detailed resource, but a good resource that, that you could gain in looking into the new, uh, New Testament or a, a book like this and the history behind it, the setting of it. First Timothy is one of four letters that Paul wrote to individuals. Uh, the rest of his letters, Ephesians, Philippians, and so forth, are to churches. Uh, so these letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, are four of his letters that are written to an individual. And um, this particular, so the books that we're looking at are in the, in, in the grouping of books that are referred to as the pastoral epistles. Now, they weren't referred to that centuries ago. It wasn't until the 18th century that actually they were given that label. But they're written to Timothy and Titus, these three books we're going to be looking at. And these are young men that Paul mentored and given some instruction he's giving given to them. And Bruce Wilkinson, in his talk through the Bible, gives us kind of a survey of the book, and I want to read that to you. I think it's a helpful overview. He says, Paul, the aged and experienced apostle, writes to young pastor Timothy, who is facing a heavy burden of responsibility in the church at Ephesus. The task is challenging. False doctrine must be erased, public worship safeguarded, and mature leadership developed. In addition to the conduct of the church, Paul talks pointedly about the conduct of the minister. Timothy must be on his guard lest his youthfulness become a liability rather than an asset to the gospel. And he must be careful to avoid false teachers and greedy motives, pursuing instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness as befitting a man of God. So Paul identifies himself as the author of this book. He's writing to Timothy. There are some who don't think Timothy's a pastor, but I think he is pastoring the church in Ephesus, has that kind of role. He's the apostolic, uh, he's sent by apostolic authority, Paul's authority. Uh, this book was written late in Paul's life and to give him help in dealing with some of the issues in uh, Ephesus. Some critics say, well, this couldn't possibly be from the first century because some of the things he's dealing with are second century issues. Well, that doesn't really hold any weight at all with me because this is Paul late in his life. And it makes sense for Paul to give instruction that would help them in organizing and governing the church. So he gives instruction about elders and deacons and certain matters that the church would be 
dealing with. And it makes perfect sense that Paul, before he dies, would give that kind of instruction to Timothy. So I don't think we have to fall into um, <clears throat> the, the criticisms that come about this book. And there are those who don't think Paul's the author, even though he says he is. But it's one of the most well-attested books of the New Testament in terms of authorship. Uh, just to list a few, uh, Polycarp, who knew the Apostle John, uh, Clement of Rome, these are writers of the first century. Uh, they, um, they attest and use this and attribute it to Paul and uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, those in the next century, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, Alexandria <clears throat> in, in a document called the Muratorian Canon. Of course, it wasn't that name originally. It was just a listing of books that were, uh, and these attributed to Paul, that were thought to be canonical. And it came from the second century. The name of it is really the name from the archaeologist who found it. And he published it in uh, 1740. So it's been, a, that document's been around a while, and, and later uh, canons were developed. But what I want to do, <clears throat> three things I want to do. One is I want to give you the history of Paul's relationship with Timothy. We'll go to the book of Acts to do that. Uh, then I want to survey uh, the places where Timothy's name comes up in some of the books of the New Testament. We won't necessarily turn to all of those, and I'll, I'll tell you where they are. <clears throat> and then um, and then we'll talk specifically about the history that's connected to the writing of this book in particular, which is Paul's, uh, the, the, the time of Paul's, after Paul's first imprisonment, first Roman imprisonment. Uh, and we'll get into that. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, here we have <clears throat> Paul in his first encounter, uh, or early encounter with, um, with Timothy. So Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 1. Now this is in the second missionary journey. <clears throat> the first missionary journey ends at uh, the end of Acts 14, before the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. So Acts 16 is beginning of his second missionary journey. <clears throat> and let me mention this too as we get into this. Um, you may want to follow along in your Bibles where we're going to go, but if you have a map in the back of your Bibles, you may want to kind of stick a finger in there too to see some of these locations. And the nation that we know today as the nation of Greece in the first century was uh, southern Greece was Achaia, Northern Greece was Macedonia, and those two names are going to come up, and especially Macedonia. And even today, if you look at a current 2022 map of that area of the world, you have Greece, you still have a nation called Northern Macedonia. And it's that northern portion which goes by that name in, in our biblical record, and the southern part goes by the name at that time of Achaia. 
So when it talks about Paul going to Macedonia, he's going to that northern region. And you can kind of get a sense of uh, where Philippi and then Corinth is moving way down, moving down toward Achaia. So in Acts 16, we have uh, the first mention of Timothy. Acts 16.1, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Uh, and as they went on, they were, and then they began, um, continued on that second missionary journey. So <clears throat> the, where Lystra and Derby are, they're in what we know as of Turkey. And the first missionary journey, that's where Paul went. Uh, he traveled through what we know of as Turkey and went to Lystra. And it was probably in Paul's first missionary journey that Timothy came to know the Lord. Uh, he would have at least been quite impressed or quite impacted by Paul's ministry because it was in Lystra, which is probably Timothy's hometown, it was in Lystra that Paul was stoned to death, or stoned at least, and was left for dead. And uh, the disciples were all gathered around him, and he got up and they went back into the city before he moved on to another region. So did Timothy see that? We don't know, of course, but it was most likely under Paul's first ministry in Lystra that Timothy uh, came to know the Lord. And when Paul came back through this territory on his way to Macedonia, he's going through Turkey on his way to Macedonia, <clears throat> he, sees t- he sees Timothy. And remember Barnabas and Paul had this split, and so Paul and Silas are going in one direction. Uh, Barnabas and John Mark were going in another direction, so he wants Timothy to accompany them on his missionary journey. And so to allow him to do that without a lot of conflict, he had him circumcised. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because a lot of people are critical of Paul for doing that especially when he was adamant that Titus not be circumcised. Uh, turn to Galatians uh, chapter t- 2 for a moment, just to get the comparison. In Galatians chapter 2, <clears throat> it says, um, in the first five verses, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of, of of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
<clears throat> and so there are those who are critical of Paul uh, in there's a, there are those who are critical of Paul and said, you're being a hypocrite. On the one hand, you circumcise Timothy. On the other hand, you refuse to circumcise Titus. What's going on, Paul? You're at least inconsistent if you're not being just an out and out hypocrite. Well, he's not, he's not being either. He's not inconsistent and he's not being a hypocrite because he's consistent on this very point. Paul will allow nothing to interfere or to compromise uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that salvation is by grace through faith and that there is no work you must do to become a Christian. And so there's quite a significant difference between the situation with Timothy and the situation with Titus. <clears throat> the situation with Titus is the Judaizers were saying, you have to be circumcised to become a Christian. And that was a compromise of the gospel. And so Paul would not in any way tolerate that kind of compromise. No, you don't have to do anything to become a Christian except by faith in Jesus Christ and your freedom in the Lord. In Titus, it was quite a different situation. There was no demand there that he be circumcised to become a Christian. He was already a Christian. And his the testimony of his Christian faith was clearly appreciated. What it was in Timothy's situation is all the Jews knew all about Timothy's background, that his mother was a Jew and his father was a Gentile. And that he would not have been um, circumcised. And so to prevent there being unnecessary offense to the Jews to allow a hearing for the gospel, Paul was willing to have Timothy circumcised. It's an application of the principle that Paul will spell out in 1 Corinthians 9. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Um, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now that again can be misused, and you can say he's willing to do anything and compromise the gospel. That's not the case. What it means is Paul is willing to be considerate of the scruples of his audience, if at all possible, to prevent uh, an obstacle to at least the presentation or, or the preaching of the gospel. It's similar to Paul's being, he felt free to eat and food sacrificed to idols. <clears throat> but he wouldn't if it would cause a stumbling block to a fellow believer. And so with Timothy's situation and being circumcised is quite, quite, quite different than <clears throat> Titus. And Paul was willing to accommodate the scruples of the Jewish audience to allow an opportunity to preach to them. But then they, when they rejected the gospel, they would turn away and go to the Gentiles. So let's continue on in Acts, go back to Acts, and, um, and go to Acts 17. Paul and Timothy and Silas are on their um, missionary journey. They've gone into Macedonia. They've gone to Thessalonica where there was all this trouble 
stirred up. And uh, then they go to Berea, uh, where the believers, where the folks were more noble. They searched the scriptures in verse 14, 17, 14. Uh, then people from Thessalonica came to cause trouble. So what Paul did was then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way uh, to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So he leaves Timothy and Silas to continue the work uh, in Berea. And he goes out of the way to keep from causing a riot there. And uh, but tells them to come as soon as possible. If we skip on to Acts 18.5, the next uh, occurrence of Timothy. Acts 18.5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So Paul's made his way to Corinth. Timothy has gone up to Macedonia. Now he's coming down to Corinth to catch up with Paul. And the second missionary journey comes to an end at Acts 18.22. So we're done with that journey. Uh, Paul has made his way back to Antioch, and now he's going to begin his third missionary journey. <clears throat> and Timothy and Silas are still accompanying him. Uh, so we pick up the mention of Timothy in Acts 19.22. So I'm leaving out a little bit of the history here, but just trying to stay with Timothy and Paul. In Acts 19.22, having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, uh, those are the two he sent on. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. Asia is our modern-day Turkey. And uh, so he sends Timothy and Erastus ahead. What Paul's plan is, he's <clears throat> come back into Turkey, Asia, He's going to go to Macedonia and make his way back to Jerusalem, where ultimately he'll be arrested and imprisoned. Uh, so he sends Timothy and, and Erastus on ahead, and he's going to join them there uh, to make his way through there uh, on his way to Jerusalem. And then uh, skipping ahead to Acts 20, verse 4, uh, there's a list of the people traveling with Paul, Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, doesn't list his place, but he's from Lystra, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So that's the history of Paul and Timothy in Acts. <clears throat> um, and how they work together. And then at the end of the third missionary journey, he makes his way back to Jerusalem. Like I say, he be, he becomes imprisoned and spends two years ultimately in Caesarea, Caesarea, and then he's sent to Rome. And Timothy will follow him to Rome. So you don't need to uh, follow me on these, but let me just mention a few um occurrences of Timothy's name and name in some of the letters. <clears throat> in Romans 16, 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So 
Paul's in Corinth writing a letter to the Romans. Timothy's with him. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, this is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child. Now remember, Paul had a troublesome relationship with Corinth. And the history here is, is a little bit of a, a challenge. But Paul, when he was away from Corinth, sends Timothy to Corinth, uh, probably bringing what would have been a, probably a second letter. It's our first letter, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16.10, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Now, I forgot to mention in that previous reference, he refers to Timothy as my beloved and faithful child. So Timothy is Paul's child by faith, uh, probably having been converted under his ministry. Uh, Timothy may have been kind of a timid person because he warns the Corinthians, now don't upset him. Don't, you know, unnerve him, accept him, be, be kind to him when he comes. Uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy's back with Paul, uh, having gone to Corinth, left Corinth, back to Paul. And they're writing together this second letter of Corinthians. And uh, in the 2 Corinthians 1, 9, uh, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I. So uh, he's referring to their ministry together. Uh, so then, and I kind of here, I'm just following through the different epistles. Uh, there is a grouping of four prison epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, not Galatians, excuse me, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the other <clears throat> one is Philemon, besides uh, First and Second Timothy. And in Philippians... Paul mentions Timothy, he says, so Paul's in prison in Rome by this time. Timothy is with him. And he says to the Philippians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. And uh, in Philippians 2.22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy's with Paul in his first Roman imprisonment. Uh, Colossians, he also writes, Paul, an epistle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, and Philemon, also similar words, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul uh, was with Timothy. Um, I had not mentioned um, the Thessalonian epistles because they come after uh, the, the prison epistles, they were probably written in that second missionary journey. But, and I won't make reference to these, but in 1 Thessalonians, uh, three times Timothy is referred to. <clears throat> so after Paul left Thessalonians, the Thessalonica, somewhere along the way, he heard of trouble in Thessalonica. And so he writes a letter to them and he sends the letter with Timothy. And this is in the second missionary journey, um, and uh, second Thessalonians, and, and he gets a response back, uh, still all in the second missionary journey, and then sends a second Thessalonian letter with Timothy as a co-author of it. 
And so then we come to the pastoral epistles, which we'll look at. Um, Paul refers to Timothy as my true child in the faith. And 2 Timothy refers to him as my beloved child. And the last reference, and I won't have you turn there, but um, is Hebrews 13.23. The writer of Hebrews and um, makes the statement, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released. So at some point in Timothy's history, probably connected with his association with Paul in Rome, he was also imprisoned. And the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Timothy has been released. So let's come to the specific history related to Timothy. It was probably written toward the end of his life uh, in around 60 AD. Uh, He was probably beheaded in 67 AD. So we're looking at about a seven-year period between the writing of 1 Timothy and his death. And so Paul's released from that first Roman imprisonment around 60 AD. And at that point in time, he sends uh, Timothy back to Philippi, as he had promised that he would do that. And then he himself left Rome and went back to more than likely uh, Asia Minor, Ephesus, and the region of Asia. Uh, And he went uh, to churches like Ephesus and Colossae and spent some time there before he returned uh, to Macedonia. And so it was during this period of time, after leaving Timothy at Ephesus, it was sometime after that, that he wrote the letter of 1 Timothy. What's worked in here somehow, on his way between Asia Minor and Macedonia, uh, Paul apparently took a detour with Titus to Crete an island there in that part of the Mediterranean. And he leaves Titus on Crete to to work with the church there. So when we get to that letter, that'll be part of the story. And then Paul continues on to Macedonia, and he writes a letter both to 1 Timothy, and he writes a letter to Titus to tell them how to care for the churches that he leaves them with. And then we know from Romans that it would have been Paul's ambition to go to Spain uh, it's uh, it's conjectured that Titus caught up with Paul in Macedonia at some point and that the two of them set off and at that point went to Spain. So we're looking at about 62 A.D., somewhere in that uh, vicinity. And he was in, had taken that journey in the neighborhood of 62 to 64. Well, in A.D. 64 was when the burning of Rome took place. Uh, Nero essentially burned Rome down for his own purposes and blamed it on the Christians. And at that point, Christianity became illegal. Up to that point, the major persecution of Christians had been from the Jews. But beginning in 64 AD, the persecution of Christians uh, became very heavily from the Roman Empire, uh, beginning with Nero and the emperors that would follow him. So after Paul had made that trip 
we conjecture, to Spain. He made his way back either to Italy or back to Macedonia. I think that he probably traveled back in Macedonia, made his way ultimately to Troas, and probably at Troas was where he was arrested again. And that was his second Roman, second and final Roman imprisonment. He was taken back to Rome and put on trial, and that's when he wrote Second Timothy. Uh, at Troas, he left because of his arrest. He left some valuable books and parchments, uh, perhaps left his cloak, because when he writes Second Timothy, he asks him to bring those things to him. And uh, in Second Timothy, he has no hope of being released. And so that's his final letter uh, in his writing to Timothy and asking him to come see him. Timothy, if he wasn't still in Ephesus, was probably ministering uh, in other parts of where Paul had been. But he's asking now Timothy to come and be with him in his final days. <clears throat> and um, it could be after Paul's execution that that could have been the time frame when Timothy himself was arrested and imprisoned. And Paul was executed by beheading. Peter was executed in Rome by crucifixion. Uh, Peter was executed by crucifixion. Paul executed by beheading on a place called the Ostian Way, which was a major thoroughfare going west out of Rome. And he was executed uh, in 67 A.D., and so uh, that's some of the history that's directly related to the writing of First Timothy. So he had been released for a while, left Timothy in Ephesus. He went on to travel to other places and wrote a letter to Timothy to help him deal with some of the problems he was facing in Ephesus. Because Ephesus, in many ways, like Corinth, Corinth was a very ungodly city. Ephesus was as well. <clears throat> Ephesus had one of the, it was the seven or eight wonders of the world at that time, was the um, uh, the temple to Diana. Uh, it was uh, a tremendously uh, elaborate. Uh, when several, Some years ago when I had the opportunity to travel in that part of the country, you can go see some of the ruins of that uh, of that temple. And it was uh, but an amazing uh, leader, uh, hallmark of the ungodliness of the, the city and the idolatry that uh, was so pervasive in that place. <clears throat> and so in, in the letter of 1 Timothy, and so I won't actually get into the verses that I read. We will do that next time. But to just kind of sum up, the, the theme of the letter, letter is probably twofold. One is to give guidance to Timothy on how to manage the affairs of the church. Uh, the church, by that time, the apostles are dying out. Uh, they're not going to be around to help give oversight to the church. And so, along with the other letters, it was to help 
one of the objectives of the letters was to help Timothy understand how he can guide the church, organize the church, uh, so that it could be governed in an effective way for the generations to come. <clears throat> so it's helpful information for Timothy and for us, for the church. And another reason would have been to be specifically encouraging to Timothy. We might say to him, really all of us, especially all those in leadership, but to encourage Timothy in fighting the good fight, uh, to uh, use the resources he had been given not to let others look down on him, but to be a faithful servant of the Lord. In, in what we looked at in the history of Paul and Timothy and in the, these letters, what we see really is a wonderful, beautiful picture of a mentor uh, who cared for this person who was under his charge. And it's a great picture of a relation, of a wonderful, godly relationship between, you know, someone could be a parent and a child. It could be uh, a pastor and someone in the church or an elder and someone in the church. It's a, a great picture of a relationship between someone in authority helping someone under their care in serving the Lord. And as a good example for you and I, as we find ourselves in situations where we have people that, that can come under our wing and we can be an encouragement and a help to them and need to be, uh, in, in their service. And, uh, just as a, uh, an, a, another kind of hallmark of these pastoral epistles is the very unique, it's peculiar only to Paul and only to the pastoral epistles is the phrase, this is a trustworthy statement and worthy of all acceptance. And for those of you that possibly remember, I did a series on those five uh, trustworthy statements. So you're going to hear a little bit of those again as we go along. So um, just to kind of forewarn you in case you want to be absent that night. <clears throat> Uh, but if we, as we look at the, the, the six chapters of Timothy, and with this I'll end, uh, in general, uh, this is the theme of those six chapters. So chapter one is Paul's charge concerning doctrine. There were false teachers, uh, in Ephesus, and he had to stand against them. And, uh, there are other things in that chapter, but that's kind of a th- key theme and the use of the law lawfully. Uh, chapters 2 and 3, <clears throat> three more getting into um, the, the role of the elders, but chapter 2 particularly is to how should worship be, be governed? How do we worship well? What are some rules that he gives us? It's not all the rules for worship, but it's helpful wor- rules. In chapter 3, it's the qualifications for those who will be leaders in God's church, elders and deacons. Uh, there's a, in chapter four, he repeats the theme of false teachers. Uh, there's a, the, the discipline of the church in chapter five, and then his overall um, encouragement for proper pastoral motives in chapter six. Um, so you, you'll hear those again as we work our way through these chapters. But it's a wonderful 
good book. I, I hope it, and I believe it will be edifying to us as we see this godly apostle giving encouragement and help to his uh, person under his care, Timothy, in the work that he needed to do. And as a good help to us to do that with one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this uh, letter. And as we uh, embark on it, we pray that you will help us to progress in godliness ourselves, be alert to things we need to be alert to, pursue godliness in our own lives, and get a better sense of how you want your church to operate so that even for us here, we can follow these steps and these patterns and bring glory to you um, in our midst as well. And uh, we pray for your blessing and strength on us as we enter this week. In Jesus' name, amen.